0: Hello listeners, this is Adrienne, and I'm just going to tell you about what you're about to hear, which is an episode of the podcast, How to Survive the End of the World, that we recorded um, with the University of Minnesota. Basically, it was a live show that we did in March of this year, and it was hosted by the Women's Center in the Office for Equity and Diversity. And I'm going to read off all the co-sponsors because, like, mad people actually made this happen. Um, And we want to thank them. So thank you to Campus Climate University of Minnesota, the Center for Community-Engaged Learning, the University of Minnesota, Center for Leadership in Maternal and Child Health, CFAMS, Office for Diversity and Inclusion, Communication Studies, English, Gender and Sexuality Center for Queer and Trans Life. The Department of Gender, Women, and Sexuality Studies. The Hubbard School of Journalism and Mass Communication. The Multicultural Center for Academic Excellence. The Multicultural Student Engagement. Martin Luther King Jr. Program. Race and Indigeneity. Gender and Sexuality Studies Initiative. A.K.A. Riggs. Okay, that's a good rigs All right, uh, T.C.F. Bank and the Urban Research and Outreach Engagement Center um, and the Kaufman Theater for hosting us. And we really were so well hosted, so well cared for. Um, so we really just want to shout out the team um, that held us down on site and um yeah so you're gonna listen to the whole thing we have a special guest who joins us and there's big news that gets dropped during this that will seem like late to you because now it already happened but at the time it was very 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 uh, brand new so so much love to y'all enjoy
1: Hello there. Hello there. It's nice to see you. Fine people. Um, how are you doing, girl?
2: I am like right here,
1: right here, right now. I am
2: right here, right We're now. Present. Yeah. What is this chair doing here? I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna move that. No, yeah, it's Just, good. Yeah. just throw I'm it. I'm just me. gonna throw it. I just wanted balance, you know. All right, I think should we start with we should do the tarot yeah. read. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. All right, I just got a new deck from my friend Adaku Uta.
2: We love Adaku. Nigeria represent.
1: Okay. And this deck is called the sluttest tarot. That's, that's the universal sign for sluttest. Um, remember,
2: my children are here. My children are here.
1: it's going to not change anything. A card jumped out. I think that's our card. I think that's our card.
2: Temperance. Temperance. Ooh, Ooh, this is a good card. This
1: card, y'all know what temperance is? Some of you know? This card is all about balance, right? It's finding the balance. (laughs) We were just talking about this. It's really, so one of the things we're going to be striking tonight is like a balance. There's stuff we want to talk about. There's stuff y'all want to hear about. Might be stuff you want to talk about. There's stuff we want to hear about. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of really up, up, up energy. And also, there's content we want to talk about tonight that's actually really heavy and hard to hold. So, temperance. It's also about really like the moderation that's nourishing, mm-hmm. not the kind that's rigid. Yes. 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 Anything else to add about temperance?
2: Um, this is a card that I've been pulling since the solar eclipse in 2017.
1: Okay. Okay, polka dots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's uh, a, it's uh, a. I'm gonna show you. Okay, so Autumn hasn't seen the special yet. So that is a reference to something that you all need to watch. That is Amanda Seals' comedy special. (sighs)
2: Okay, okay. Are we
1: promising? Are we gonna follow? I keep being
2: read about the fact that I haven't seen this comedy special yet. Oh my God! Well, you should watch it. Okay. Um, right. I do feel, though, that this is a lesson that the universe is continuing to invite me to learn right yes. now, so I'm just taking, I'm taking notes. You're
1: taking notes. Um,
2: should we begin with our official intro? Oh, yeah. For the sake of the recording? Because it's a podcast. Yeah, we're okay. recording.
1: Yeah. Zach, hi. In the future. <laughs> now you know. All right, so we're recording this as a live podcast. This is only our second time ever doing this, where we have an audience here. Exciting. Yes, you're so good at that. I know y'all are like really good. It's pleasurable. Um, I love you. I think you started right. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. I'm Autumn Brown, <laughs> like, I never remember a queer science fiction writer, <laughs> a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements, living in rural Minnesota.
1: And I'm Adrian Marie Brown author of Emergent Strategy and Pleasure Activism, co-editor of Octavius Brood, and a social justice facilitator for black liberation movements, living in Detroit, and I'm an auntie extraordinaire.
2: That's right, you're all those things. And a doula,
1: but mostly an auntie extraordinaire.
2: And this is How to Survive the End of the World.
1: Our podcast on surviving apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity.
2: You got it, good job.
1: It only took a year and a half.
2: Yes. (laughs)
1: Um, So this podcast, is we're still really shocked and amazed that this is going well. (laughs) Um, It's like, wow, we really enjoy doing this, and we're really excited to get to do this with y'all tonight. So, yeah, I think we should start with checking in, how we're doing, and then we'll talk.
2: Yeah, and I feel like... I wanna ask you to share with yep. the audience some really big
3: fucking news. Oh my
2: God. <laughs> <laughs> just okay. So last I night tell something. something happened. Okay, I had to tell you, I had to tell
1: you. Wait, can I tell them the Mercury Record Degree part
2: first? Okay, yes. Tell yeah. us tell us the journey that led to
1: the news. Let me tell y'all this story. So yesterday I had to fly <laughs> here, right? I wasn't here. I was in Detroit. And I went, um, I'm about to be on the road for a month. So I went in, I got these steroid shots in my knees for the first time ever. Has anyone ever had that? It feels like... Big needles. It feels like, um, yeah, it's like the worst thing ever. It's like, it feels like a funny bone thing that, but it's happening on purpose. Like the whole time you're like, that's going to be like a bad funny bone thing. That's going to be like a bad funny bone thing. That's a bad funny bone thing happening right now. So, and then you just have to sit there and they're like, relax. I'm like, no, No. (laughs) that's not what's going (laughs) to happen. But anyway, so I had that experience and then I drive home and I'm like, okay, I've got 20 minutes to go in the house and pack um, and then come back out. It was just a weird week. That's like
2: the one way that you're not a Virgo.
1: I know. I failed at Virgo-ness in that particular. Well, I always keep the bag mostly packed, so it's like I just have to throw a couple outfits in.
2: Finn is slow clapping now. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so, well, and also, I keep a, I keep a box That's of clothes that you guys at your house, right? So anyway, so I was like, 20 minutes to pack, and I think I'm being really cute. I'm like listening to music. I make like a little video of myself listening to music. I'm like, I'm feeling myself. I got 20 minutes. I'm going to go outside. I lock the car keys in the running car. Oh. Okay. So I'm like, oh, all right, well, just stay calm, like, don't take it personally, the universe is not, like, you know, hating on you or anything. Um, Luckily, one of my neighbors was home, I was able to find the spare key to the car that I was just praying existed, got it in, got the bag packed, get on a call with a funder that I'd kind of forgotten, I was like, oh, yeah, I said I could do this on the way to the airport. So I get on the call, go to the airport, get to the airport, every single place where you can park on the airport is um, full. And they're all like, we're so sorry for the inconvenience. I'm like, it's not an inconvenience if you're making me miss my flight. I think I should legally be able to sue your entire existence. But just for using the word wrong. I mean, I was like, if you were a litigious
2: person, which you're not. not. Because
1: it takes time, you know, but that's not what I want to put my attention on. But I was feeling salty. I was feeling like really salty. So much so that the person I was talking to was like, should we let you go? I was like, no, no, it's fine. Yes. Okay. You know, so then... Go find a place to park the car far, far away. I've got a half an hour now to make this flight. And somehow the shuttle driver, like, I'm able to motivate him with my concerns. And he gets us there (laughs) on time. (laughs) Because he was moving slow. But I was like, this is not a slow moment. So (laughs) then I get to the airport and the air train is broken. And, like, something I told Autumn was when I was getting the steroid shots. And I was like, i got to go to the airport today. They were like, well... You know, these stereotypes. whatever you do, we, let's just hope it's not, like, gate A75, because you shouldn't be running through the airport or anything, right? So whatever we do, just don't run through the airport. So I'm going in, going through security, <laughs> and I looked at it, like, okay, 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 I got it. A75. A75. Okay, what the, you know? <laughs> I was like, this is really happening right now, you know? And I was like, you know that feeling we are just like, ah! Like, and then you're like, that's not going to help. <laughs> I've got to calm down. Autumn's waiting. Autumn, you'll hold the plane for me. And I right, told and her, I did
2: say I would hold the plane for yes, you. Yes, but
1: I want to say that I had promised you I was going to get you lunch. I was like, I'm going to get there so much time. I'll get you a sandwich. Yeah, it's you like, were no going to bring you. me food. I know. You
2: didn't bring me food.
1: But you see what I was up against, yes. right? It was like, I, I was, see was it trying now. so hard. I
2: see it now. Anyway,
1: so all this happens. I make the, f- I ju- and I'm like, walk slowly as fast as you can. Like, <laughs> right? And <laughs> it's, it's really hard to walk fast slowly. Um... So, and Autumn is still trying to help me understand time the whole time, too. I was like, can I get a sample? Oh, and I hadn't eaten because I've been intermittent fasting. So I hadn't eaten. So I was like shaking with hunger. I was like, but I'm not going to make it. You know, like I was like a portrait of, I really felt like it was a near death experience. And I know it wasn't, but it's just like dramatic Mercury retrograde behaviors. Okay, so I get to the plane, but then Autumn's there. Because she was on her layover on her way back from her writing retreat. That's right. And so I was like, hey, girl. So we moved around the whole plane because we were like, we got to sit together.
2: Yeah, we made the guy sitting next to me get up three times. He felt
1: feelings. And he
2: was, by the third time, he was like.
1: I was like, don't do that passive-aggressive smile. We are sisters, and yeah. we just have to be by each other. Yeah. So then, of course, we talked. So normally, we do look alike, right? Do you think so? I think y'all look like us, too. Okay, <laughs> So we have special audience members who are going to be part of the entire show. I just hope you know that. Yeah. <laughs> so we get on the plane, and normally I get on Wi-Fi when I'm on the plane. Often I'll get on and do a little work, but because Autumn was there, I didn't check my Wi-Fi, I didn't check my email, didn't look at anything. We fly. We talk, talk, talk. We get off the plane, we rent the car, we talk, 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 talk the whole way. Six hours of talking nonstop. Yeah, we're just talking. Amazing. We get the kids. We're amazing. still talking. We're still talking nonstop. Okay? Yeah. Get to the house. Finally, I look at my phone and I see that I've like missed some calls and there's an email there. And I was like, "What's this? You know? Um, why people try to reach me? I, I still can't even really deal with it. So then I open this email and it's from my publisher Charles at AK Press. Now, AK Press is my press. These are my folks, okay? They are scrappy, movement press. Anarchist press. I've done everything with them. They're like anarchists. They're like my white bros. You know, they're just like, we are radical. We, we mm-hmm. are here for you, okay? I love these, I love them, okay? These are my folks. They know better than to have dreads. And, but we are like... <laughs> they know
2: better than to have dreads.
1: They know better, right? They know mm-hmm. better. I would never even wonder about that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and more importantly, I'm like, they love me. And so we have an uh, agreement, right? When we first brought Octavia's Brew to them, they are like, we sell small. You know, we're a small thing. It's like, if we sell 500 copies, it's going to be cool. And I'm like, that's great. You know, we're like, Walid and I are movement people. And then when I did emergency Tries, I was like, this is a weird book about ants. Like, it's all good. Let's just like (laughs) do this little weird, these weird small projects that are just like relevant for movement people. It's great. So they've never done anything like what I'm about to tell you. So... Charles so it says this email, and I don't believe the email, so I have to call him. But the email says, I kind of wanted to tell you this by phone, so I've been trying to call you, but I couldn't reach you. But pleasure activism is number six, debuting at number six on the New York Times bestseller list. reaction. That's still my actual reaction because no. Are you kidding me? Like, so then, what? I called Charles and I was like, Charles, I think you sent me a wrong email. Like, I was just like, something's wrong. Did I? Or like, I just finished watching the OA, so I was also like, I flipped universes. I'm in a different universe. Right. What universe is this? You know, like, it was really on point. But then Autumn was still here. It was still the same universe. So I was like, okay.
2: Yeah. This might be true. Confirming reality since 1983.
1: <laughs> that's the tagline can you make a t-shirt
2: yes t-shirt someone in here could make that t-shirt is it you the confirming reality since 1983 t-shirt that's
1: when she was born yeah okay so anyway so this is my good news and I've basically been giggling and shaking and kind of laughing since then it feels like a full life orgasm like I'm just like okay this is what it's like when you like Focus on what you're supposed to be doing and let something come through that you're supposed to be doing and I really I will say this I've been a writer my whole life and I always was like I'm gonna be in the New York Times someday But I thought it was gonna be like on a journalism tip And so I just gave it up when I was like, I'm not a journalist <laughs> I don't like asking other people questions about stuff. I don't know, <laughs> you know, I'm like That's not my bag, you know? That's That's not not true. I do, but not, like, in a reporter way. I'm like, are you telling the truth? I don't really care. Like, if if you imagined it, that's also interesting. Like, is it interesting? Like, that's what I care about, right? So the idea of reporting was, like, you know, so I was just, like, I'm never going to be in that particular one. I'm going to do this, like, scrappy dope work, and I love it, but this is, it feels really good.
2: Well, and I I just have to say, I'm so proud of you, Uh, and... (laughs) I'm so proud of you. And, like, I really feel, and I think a lot of us, you know, there are folks in this room who also have pieces included in pleasure activism. Raise right? your hand
1: if you have a piece in pleasure activism. Right. Right here. You got some
2: people in right the there. room. It really is the most collective thing, yo. And, like... There's something so beautiful about there there is something, there's a friction to this moment mm-hmm. in time. A
1: pleasurable like, friction. Like a pleasurable
2: friction. <laughs> but the fact that the fact that this collection, that yeah. these voices are being received in that way is such a gift to the world. Yeah. And you birthed that.
1: Yeah. It's really exciting. Like I will say, um, I don't know how I would handle it if it was like, I wrote this book by myself with no other people in it. I don't know I don't know if it would make sense. It felt so good to be like, ah, that means all these people are gonna read Kara yes. Page and Alexis yes. Pauling Gums yes. and you and Janine and yes. Joey and Danny and Amita Swat and, and Alana. And like, all these people that I'm like, my friend Alana, right, who passed away last October and taught us about living with pleasure with cancer. I'm like, bye y'all, I love you. Love they told you. me they had to go, don't any of y'all try that shit. All right. I love y'all.
2: You're stuck here. They're
1: literally going to the airport. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so um, it felt like that. It felt like, you know, trying to be like, y'all need to pay attention. These folks have something to teach us about how to be alive right now and how to survive this end of the world. And it just feels really good. So thank you for giving me a moment because I was like. I had to tell somebody that this was my day. <laughs> like <laughs> also, because I'm like, thank God for somatics, because you have to have some um, you have to like work up the capacity to move from that to that and mm-hmm. like be like, I survived you, like I survived yeah. <laughs> moving from a really crappy day to yeah. a really deep day to a really like, best day ever.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know? you've, like, put in so much healing work over the years to develop that range, the yeah. range to hold both, like, physical suffering and, yeah. like, psychic suffering and confusion yeah. and, like, <gasps> elation.
1: Elation. And I, I I'll say I've been feeling really happy. Like, anyone who's asked me how I'm doing from about the last, like, three months or so, I've been, like, happy. Like, I feel really happy and satisfied and good, like, Um, in a way that I've never felt in my adult life. Like, it almost makes me want to cry because I'm like, I always thought I was going to get this because of someone else. Like, that I was going to, like, if I fall in love or if I get a certain accolade or if I do something, and instead it's just been like, oh... If I just like love myself every day, eventually I'm gonna love myself every day, and I'll be loved every day, and then I'll tune into the love around me every day. <laughs> yeah, I want to testify. Back. Like I really want to testify. <laughs> like it's not. No one can give it to you, but you cannot avoid it. Like if you focus on it, it's it's miraculous. It's miraculous. So. <laughs> okay, but I also want to talk about yo ass right now because. Uh, <laughs> There's a major creative achievement that you have have hit in this past three months of your sabbatical that I want everyone to know about, and I say it as a fangirl. <laughs> Can you tell people a little bit about what you've been up to?
2: Well, so as many of you know, if you're listeners to the podcast, are there I... any listeners to the podcast? Are there <laughs> any of you listeners? OMG, um, they know, they know who you are. <coughs> <laughs> I, I you did. Listen s- to it?
1: Okay, that's fair. That's fair.
2: So y'all know if you listen to the podcast that I like to listen to my own voice. Um, so Siobhan has heard me like reviewing episodes. Um, it's true. I have to. I mean, I have to review the episodes as a part of the editing process. Um, yeah, we have to. Anyway, so I went on sabbatical at the beginning of January. I'm nearing the end. Um, it was, it's been uh, not what I thought it was going to be. Sabbaticals
1: rarely are. Um,
2: and so I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Well, I think we should wait
1: till it's done, because it's not done yet. It's not She's quite done yet. She's still on sabbatical. This is like a special moment.
2: <clears throat> but I did set out, the only goal, the only creative goal I set out for myself was to finish writing my novel. And I did. Um, I did. And... Um, there's always and you finished part one. Well, OK. So So um, I made it as far in the process as sending my novel to readers who um, people who I love and trust deeply, who have um, deep familiarity with my body of work. And some of the overwhelming feedback in the process is this should be book one of a trilogy. And so now I have some more work yes. <laughs> on for
1: me. Exactly. Um,
2: it's so good. Um, but I feel, I do feel like, especially inside of um, some of what actually has happened in my life over the last three months and the last couple of years, I feel like uh, a, I feel profoundly accomplished that I finished this book. Um, and it feels um, uh, <clears throat> Alexis Pauline Gums, who's in this in the house, um, was one of my her. readers and gave me the feedback that um, that in reading the book she felt how deeply it was connected to my life's purpose. and so knowing that I was able to um, to create in that way yeah. inside of a period of my life that has been... Yeah. Um, filled with, like, a lot of suffering has yeah. been really beautiful, you know?
1: Well, and it's not disconnected. <clears throat> it yes. feels, like,
2: very not disconnected.
1: And I, I think that a lot that I'm like, to me, the best creative work is rooted in, in real soil, right? Real compost, real fertilizer, real shit. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we actually just um, interviewed, and it's going to be coming... It hasn't come out. No, it's going to be coming out. We interviewed N.K. I was like, what's out there? Um, we interviewed um, the writer N.K. Jimmison. <laughs> Um, she wrote Author this, of the
2: Broken Earth trilogy and yes, the Inheritance right? trilogy, um, and
1: it's a trilogy it of sci-fi books that you're gonna read someday, and you're gonna love them. Um, and but one of the things we'll talk about when we interviewed her, but one thing she talks about is her. She lost one of her parents in the process of that trilogy, and how that it was just like, of course, that comes in. You know, grief is such a real thing, and it comes into the work. Um, and I, so much of what we are talking about with this podcast is really about that. Like, how do we take all the suffering and all the real pain and all the, the reality of life? Mm-hmm. Right? And how do we say we can turn this, we, we can harness turn soil. this energy
3: mm-hmm. and turn it into something that
1: can nourish so many people. And when as, as one of the people who got to read it, I was just like, I just kept being like, you know, gasping at like what you had turned that shit into. <laughs> you know, I was like, yes, bitch! You're so brilliant! So... Anyway, I'm really excited that you're at where you are with it now, Thank you. and I'm really excited for, for it to get out further. Yeah, yeah. Thank
2: you.
3: Um,
1: so we have a big piece of content we want to talk about
0: tonight, mm-hmm. and
1: we felt like we couldn't do it alone, and that's why there's a, a chair here that you may have noticed. Did you notice that? Did
0: that you chair? notice that there's a chair?
1: Did you see the chair over there? All right. So, <laughs> there, I thought we were saying. I thought we were
2: going to sing. Anyway. Yeah. No, I mean we did. We both did. It's it happened.
1: Stop it. stop it. Okay. Stop. <laughs> I'm going to stop. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to bring up this very special guest, who we love, who you love, who everybody loves, um, to talk about prison abolition and transformative justice. And it's Alexis Pauline,
0: Pauline-
1: So she's the sister, the doctor, the professor, the writer, the author, the novelist. Okay, M Archive is the main thing that we're gonna be asking her to talk about up here. We have a, a microphone for you. Do you wanna be in the middle? Where do you wanna go? Never Boop. It's in the middle. Boop.
4: You're our middle I mean, guest. I think it's okay, you're our middle guest. I just feel like I won the price is right. I'm like ah! yes.
1: <laughs> You basically you you were the price is right. For you, the price <laughs> yes. is absolutely right. So what we wanted to talk about. It's like we've had a couple of shows about transformative justice and trying to really understand how, how do we, inside this punitive system, inside of this, um, this system where prison is one of the many ways that we are constantly punishing each other, right? Everything in our society is structured on constantly punishing each other. And so we're trying to figure out, like how do we switch that? What does transformative justice actually mean? And for us, it's really how do we go to the root system of what is actually causing us to harm each other in the first place, and how do we start to eradicate the impetus that causes harm? And so we thought it would be really interesting to talk about this as fiction writers first, right? Mm -hmm. Because all of us are fiction writers who also are mediators and facilitators and, and doing the work in this plane of real world. So we thought first we would want to ask, what are some of the ways in your fiction writing that you are... Practicing and playing with transformative justice models, playing with moving beyond prisons as a way of meeting out justice. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about it. Oh my
4: goodness. So, I just feel a lot of gratitude actually to you and to Walida for being like you're a science fiction writer. By the way, Alexis, yes. you're a science fiction writer. <laughs> so to contribute something to this anthology. I was like, I am. Yes. So it and it changed everything because I feel like. Like you were just saying, when we're facilitating, it's like, how do we get from this moment that we're in right now to the best possible dream we can imagine? Yes. right? And what I felt like I got permission to do when you were like, you write science fiction. Send us something by this day. I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> but what it gave me permission to do was to go all the way to the best dream I could imagine and then still see the contradictions that were still yes. there. That's right.
1: That's totally it.
4: Which to me is that reach that we have to take in order to have transformative justice happen, right? It, it's like, oh, I thought that I had a vision, I could envision a perfect world and I see that there's actually contradictions within me yes. that if I don't work through it in this fiction writing, I'm just gonna carry them with me into the future. That's right. Even when we get to the best place that I imagine. Because this so, in each of us. Exactly. That's right. Exactly, so it's given me the depth to do that inner work in a visionary way that I think is necessary because it's, thinking that I have it figured out is one of the major obstacles to having any kind of compassion for somebody else who's done uh, some harm.
1: Ooh.
4: Okay, continue.
1: <clears throat> well, I was gonna say, <laughs> you continue, but I also want to continue.
3: Okay.
2: Continue, hold on.
1: Oh, yay. Okay, so continue, but stop. Um, well, I wanted to ask you really to speak a little bit about an M-Archive which is the prophetic text of our times that Alexis happened to write, um, but it's really an important novel, slash extended poem, slash literally a prophetic. Like it feels like you channeled so much in that. Um, there's so many pieces. Like there's a piece in there that's about the love of a fat black woman that I'm like personally oh, a yes. little bit like.
2: It's like uh, I don't
1: know why the it's centerpiece so good of to me. The story. Um, it is right. But there's so many pieces in there that I feel like are your way of saying, and this is what they learned about justice. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's any of that that you're like, that, like, how did you get to that? <laughs> you know? Yeah.
4: I mean, I, th- I think that process was like a, a trip. Yes. It was a listening process. It was a get up every morning and be available and get out mm-hmm. of my own way type of process.
1: Called the Lucille Clifton strategy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very much the Lucille Clifton
4: <laughs> <laughs> strategy. It means that you just good open question. yourself up and listen. So Lucille Clifton, I'm so glad you asked that. I know because I'm really any glad. time to teach people about Lucille Clifton, it's I'm a like, good yes, day. Let's yes,
1: talk about yes. it, Finn.
4: So Lucille Clifton, one of the greatest poets to ever live, has this series called Messages from the Ones. And so she had this ex- <laughs> yes, <Katie? laughs> She had this experience <laughs> where she woke up every morning and just listened, and she got these messages, which you can read in, in her last book where she just, they're just telling her, like, the world's about to end. Here's what we think we should do. Here's who we are. Here's who we are not. Here's what you need to know. And one of my favorite things that, that she wrote in that process was, I am not my sister's keeper. I am my sister. Mm. And I was just like, that's the transformative justice. <coughs> that's like, it right there. Like, yes. that, that's it. That's that's, it. The, that's the whole thing. That's right. So I... I'm not Lucille Clifton, I love Lucille Clifton, and yet very influenced by her work, and had this experience of sitting and listening and wanting to sit and listen and be with some of my favorite scholars. So listening to, Mm. um, and working from the work of M. Jackie Alexander, who, y'all should read her book, Pedagogies of Crossing. I love Jackie so much, thank you, Jackie. And as I sat there and listened, it's just these scenes came through, and I was like, are these in the far future? Are Mm -hmm. these in the near future? What is going on? But I know what happened is every day sometime during that day, I would see something from that scene
5: mm. in my day and
4: try not to freak out in front of the people who I was with when that happened. So that was, that was how I knew wow. that it was something that was not about me telling people you what You were I seen knew. as
2: in encountering in the physical...
4: Yes. Mm. As in yeah. like... There's a scene where somebody is, it's, it's around her beautiful blackening heart, mm-hmm. and this person, they're on the planet of sulfur, and they their heart is turning to coal to turn into a diamond. And literally that day, I walked into an art gallery to do like a fundraiser for the art gallery itself, and there was hanging from the ceiling all of these plaster hearts and one black one just right in the middle. And I was like,
2: well,
1: okay. Okay. All right. Universe. So that's how I knew it. It's something <clears throat> collective, right? It's mm-hmm. something big.
4: I was like, they're just like, she's up listening, so we're just going to tell her, but this really is for her. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. She just wakes up really early, so we're going to, you know. <laughs> that's beautiful. Go ahead and put that there. So about the transformative justice, yeah. I mean, I think that I had to let go of how do I imagine it? Right, and so that means I had to let go of being like, correcting all the stuff that I wish didn't exist, Mm -hmm. revenge for all the stuff that I've had to experience as a survivor, and say like, how would people figure it out? Like how would people open themselves up to a widely different, um, different context? What if there was no manifesto? What if there were no words for it? What would they do then? What would it mean to understand that loving fat black women was actually the key the entire time, and until that happened, our relationship yes. with the planet would never be generative. What so, if? What? Yes. It, I mean, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it, it gave me the opportunity to... <laughs>
1: it sure is. Yeah.
4: To be an extremist about what I'm an extremist about. That's a, that's a that's core right. held belief that I have. Mm-hmm. But also to step away from everything that I thought I believed that's and great. look at it newly. So yeah, I love that. that.
1: That's exciting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Autumn, what about in your work? Like, I want to well, tell people just really mm-hmm. quickly... Because this is becoming a trend that I like to. You want to talk? I'm going to talk instead. Um, I, it's trending on on in my heart. So, <laughs> well, I'm just going to say that people don't know that for those who read Octavius Brew, the short story that Autumn has in that book is really a powerful story about justice, and the novel is is, an, is like a going in through that door in some ways, and then into the whole world of of that. World story-setting, so um, I'd love to hear, I know, I know we're both over here like, testify, Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about, no, don't stop, don't really, yeah, tell us a little bit about, for you. I
2: think, first I want to just say a little something about, one of the, um, one of the constructs that I work with a lot in the novel is, um, well, I'm working with ideology, and how ideology informs how the communities that we encounter in the novel understand their origin stories, Um, like where they come from, what their practices are. Um, But then there's also, um, there's also a, it's like an ideology becomes something that's very active. It's like an, uh, it almost becomes like a verb (laughs) <laughs> in in the story, um, and um, and in in the novel, the there's multiple communities that we encounter that, in various ways, think that they have moved beyond the ideologies that informed the past. Um, and one community particularly believes itself to be like outside of ideology, um, and. Um, and so this character, Orion, that we are journeying with, she is um, really having to, like, rewrite her as, as she is alone and more and more alone. She's having to rewrite her understanding of, like, um, is it even possible to be outside of and beyond ideology? Um, and if it's not, what what is the ideology of her community if it's not true, that they're beyond it. Um, And as she journeys further, she realizes that it's not even possible, right? Um, And I think about this because, I just had a conversation last week about um, prison abolition. Because of the fact that we were doing this show, when I was at this writing residency in Vermont, and one of the other artists who was there was asking me, oh, what are you guys going to be talking about during your live show? And I said, oh, prison abolition. And he immediately was just like, oh, well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't even, like, give too much away about this, but you can imagine, it's a man, so you can imagine. Um, well, right there,
1: you can imagine. You can ri-
2: and right there, you can imagine some of the things that ensued in terms of how he started talking to me and encountering my... Um, my adorable thoughts. Um, They're so cute. What and um, you know, but but he, I love that too. I love it when people do that to me, and I'm like, oh, you don't know that you're talking to a scholar. Do not Got underestimate autumn.
1: <laughs> like, but I mean, you know, it's. I mean, well, I think it's also there is something really powerful. I think about this a lot, where I'm like, oh, you think you're supreme. And so I'm just going to enjoy this. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I used to be like, oh, I have to, and I was like, yeah. I literally can't possibly Well, help you it is this. beautiful
2: so. to reach a point in your life where you can be like, oh, I can be in this experience and be totally undefended. Yes. Because I know what's happening. Yes. I know what's happening with you. Yes. Because this is the work I do. Yes. And I know what I'm about to do. Because <laughs> this <laughs> is the work I do. <laughs> um, I was actually very kind, but... That's because um, <laughs> that's the work you do. It's not it's that, the work that's I how do. you do it. But 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 one and of the things that, one that yes, one of the things that happened in the conversation is that he did he did the sort of normal like gut gut response that people have to the idea of prison abolition which is well, I mean, you know, don't we need to have prisons? Don't we I mean don't we have to have prisons because there are bad people in the world and those bad people have to be locked up. I mean, what about pedophiles? Don't pedophiles need to be locked up and and I just turned to him and I said, you know, if that's what prisons Existed to do this would be a really different conversation, right? You
3: better talk about
2: and it. historically, legally, institutionally, what prisons exist to do is not to protect anyone, right? <laughs> right? That's right. not what they exist to do. Right. Um, but it's so interesting to see. You know, and of course, we know, I mean, many of us know that prisons exist to create a permanent underclass in society, that they exist to um, extend the reach of enslavement and genocide. They're used to torture people. Thank you, Finn. Um, And to create more conditions of harm and violence, right? So, but it is always, it's so interesting for me to just, to witness the, the function of ideology in that moment, you know, that... That moment in him that, like, um, you know, and not even questioning as he's speaking, well, don't bad people need to be locked up? Well, why? Well, what's bad? What do you mean by that? What did that person do? What healing did they have access to? What rehabilitation have they had access to? What would justice actually mean? For anyone. You know what I mean? Like, we don't slow down to ask ourselves those questions of like, what are the actual conditions of justice? What are the actual conditions of healing? What are the conditions of repair? And this is one of the things that Adrian and I went to Ireland in February, and we led a series of visionary fiction writing workshops um, in Northern Ireland, mostly in Belfast, but also in Derry and in South Armagh, and we got a very deep political education there about the conflict and the um, the legacy of the conflict, the ways that it is still very much alive in everyone's bodies. I mean, everyone that we interacted with were people who lived through it um, because it's only the peace accord is only twenty years old. Um, and one of the the parts of the political education for me that was so intense was that, you know this is a community that's living in the immediate wake of bombings, shootings, disappearances, tortures, and um, side by side with the people who they consider to be responsible for that harm. And so the way they encounter conversations about repair is, completely different from anything that I've experienced here in the US. Um, because it's like embodied, you know, it's like, it's this, one of the things that we noticed is that <clears throat> in the conversations that they're having about accountability and repair, um, it's not even a question about whether or not, I'm gonna say that a different way. I have thought, That accountability required that the person accountable to me understood and agreed, right? That they agreed with my experience of the harm. That they could themselves articulate like, yes, it was wrong and here's why. One of the things that we witnessed in the conversations there is that that's not the approach. It's not... There's a sense that, like, we have to find our way towards accountability and repair, understanding that we might never actually agree. We might never be able to bring someone else over to our side of the story, the understanding, the experience, and yet there could be repair. And that, for me, has been – I still don't even really know how to articulate it, but that has been very, like – profound and shifting how i understand how i'm thinking about my own political work too. Yeah.
1: That's great. Um I love that and i, I want to come back. I jumped off of the novel stuff I but I love what you did yeah. there. I think it was so brilliant. <laughs> I'm like, yes. It's also because we were there to do visionary fiction writing workshops. Right. And so we came in i think very much like, okay, it's kind of going to be like this and they just kept Shocking us and just being like, well, not necessarily that. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not going to do the accent.
2: Don't do it. Don't do it.
1: OK. Uh, I managed to be in Ireland and not do an Irish accent the whole time. So can I get?
0: Almost the whole time.
1: That was private. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> so um, I'll say for me in this one, mm-hmm. there's a few ways. So in Octavia's brood, the, my approach to this was I was like, rather than punishing people, um, some aspect of nature is going to be able to attune to whether there is a real love relationship. If there's love in the heart of the people who are in this place, and if there's not, then the wave will sweep them away. <laughs> yeah, that was my solution. The river just, like, and like and took those like, people you and left their shoes. Right? And left their shoes. <laughs> that was my so, favorite part as a I know. I was like, oh, those are red toms. But I, I had... Um, a. <laughs> It was really interesting to me. I want to say (laughs) that for me, it was in the lineage of the work of um, Marge Piercy. So Marge Piercy wrote this novel, Woman on the Edge of Time, about someone who's seen as being insane in the time that they're living in. Um, And what we are learning from following her as a protagonist is that she's actually jumping ahead in time and seeing these other possibilities for the future. And in one of them... um, The way people deal with justice is basically you get one strike. It's like if you cause harm, you get a tattoo that says you caused this harm. And that way, even if you go someplace else, people will know, like, you caused this harm. And if you do it again, you're killed, right? And I was like, whoa, that's so extreme. And they were like, yes, but we don't believe in holding prisons. We don't think prisons change anything. We don't have the resources at this point in human history to do it. And so I always thought it was such an interesting, you know, I was like, oh, I, I was like, I think that's so uncouth, and yet I live in a country with the death penalty, like where that's happening um, for people who are innocent, for people who, you know, like that's happening all the time. And the death
2: penalty of the street,
1: it, and, and the death penalty of the street, and the, de- you know, so it's like we. I mean, this is Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, like I was just learning about some of the work that's been happening here, and I'm like, y'all know, you know, what what these conditions are. So I've got two novels that I've been working on that are addressing this now in different ways, and. In one of them, um, I actually had the world split along all the intersectional lines. So people are actually kind of like split up. And there's actually a place for people who are (laughs) multi-anything too. So it's like if you're multi-things, you go to one place. If you're pure whatever, certain things. I'm not going to explain what all the things are. But you split up because part of what I've recognized in the way that I've been doing the work is that so much of how people are um, allowing themselves to continue engaging in harmful behavior is that they're defining themselves against an other. And they're like, that other, they're the ones, they're bad. They're horrible. They're the ones who are trying to be hierarchical. They're the ones who are holding power in an evil way. Like, so it's, as long as we can blame someone else, then it allows us to not see what you were saying, how we're holding it within ourselves. And so once people are split out, then they have to really contend with, there's no other, there's nothing else you can define as other here. And still, some of the stuff is emerging. We have to heal it. And it's only some somehow, I'm still working on it, but it's like somehow in the healing of it that they'll be able to come back into diversity, come back into biodiversity that's needed to survive. And they have a time limit to that. So I've been playing with that and, and but I felt like in the work that I do, and now maybe this can be the pivot because we want to talk a little bit about this. So how does that imagining pivot back into the work we do? In the work that I do, so often it is getting people to take their attention off of blaming the other and actually bring it back. Where are you? What are you practicing in yourself right now? And it's really easy to be like, well, I've been harmed. And so having been harmed, that justifies anything I want to do, right? Um, I have been harmed. And I see it all the time that people now it's not uncommon in our movement space for people to introduce themselves with the terminology of victimization in some way, right? That it's like, here is a terminology of how I have been defined by those who would oppress me. And you know, my name is this and here's that terminology. And I'm like, wait, how did we get to that place? Right? Mm-hmm. And what what does it look like <clears throat> even at that place to be like, no, I reclaim myself before and beyond harm, and that's who I am. And like as we get to know each other, I can share some of these other pieces with you, but but I'm not the harmed self as a starting point. And I think then we also start to form solidarity that way, right, that we're like, oh, I can only be in solidarity with other people who share the harm that I share, right? rather than people who share like the excellence or the brilliance or the incredible, you know, like when I think of my blackness, I'm like, my blackness is this vibrant, live, beautiful, resilient thing. It's been attacked, but it is not the attack, right? Like, blackness yes. is not a wound, right? I'm like, I'm not a wounded person because I'm black. I'm like, incredible, <laughs> resilient, surviving, amazing thing because I'm black. And, and everyone has that in their lineage, right? It's like, we are the people who survived, all of us. We are the most resilient humans of all time. Like, the, the starting out, with talking about the indigenous peoples of this land who are not gone, right? Who have survived, who have created and are starting to reclaim and recenter culture. I'm like, like that, I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, we don't start that story with like genocide. I'm like, we start the story with like, look at this. Right. Look at God. Right. And also there's been a lot of attacks, right? That we And here's the brilliance with which we have survived. And so when I look at the prison industrial complex, and I think about, oh, there's all these folks who are on the other side of this wall. And how do we begin to build a common, a solidarity with them that is where we are not victims of them and they are not victims of each other, and they are not victims of us. And that we, in that solidarity, how do we make that solidarity so strong that the wall can no longer hold, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That I'm like, oh, I want to change the, is it the chemistry? I want to change the fundamental elemental nature of the world with our solidarity. That our solidarity is like, oh, yeah. literally walls cannot stand because we're so attuned
2: to our strengths. And we don't believe that we have that power, yeah. but we do. I think we do. Mm-hmm.
1: I believe I believe we have it, and I believe you know I'ma start smaller, so <laughs> I'm really into like eh, what's a little, and so I've been really doing it with just one on one. Start really yeah. small, yeah. <laughs> really big, really big. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. I was like, why am I doing that? That little small tiny voice, you know. This is why because I've been with these these friends all day. <laughs> um, but I do think that I start that when I do work with people where it's one on one. A lot of it is like. There's stories that we can tell that will actually make whatever barriers between us fall away or become irrelevant. And how do we get vulnerable enough on either side of that barrier to actually tell the story? And how do we soften enough to hear the story? Because that's one of the hardest things is to hear the story of someone you've already decided is wrong, or you've already you've already like you're like no you are can only be harmful. And I, I love this. I want to keep bringing this forward. What Miriam Kaba taught us when we interviewed her, which is when I when I tell people about our podcast, I, I'm basically like, you know, I don't recommend any anything. I'm like, if you want to listen, listen, right? I, I'm not a promoter a pusher. I'm like, a push it on you. But the one thing I'm like, every person alive needs to listen to Miriam Kaba talk about transformative yeah. justice. Yeah. And the interview we did with her, she talks about that no one experiences harm for the first time when they're committing it. She's sharing the wisdom of Danielle Sered, yeah. right? My friend. Dear boo. So. And I love that because I think it, to me, every time I hear it, and every time I have to think that, I'm like, oh yeah, it's so easy to be like, this person is a harmful member of our community and so they're not allowed to be in our community anymore. And I'm like, where did that start? You know, did they just like show up in the community one day like, hello, I'm looking for who I can harm here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, no, that's not how people start. They come, they're like, I was harmed two communities ago and I'm here with the chips already on my shoulder and I don't expect anyone's gonna let me in and so you know right and you can feel that energy I feel like sometimes when you meet someone you're like oh you just you know like I just moved here I've been you know spent two weeks in every city for the last four years or whatever and you're like "Hmm." (laughs) you know I'm like we should connect you with our local therapy network or whatever it is you know (laughs) before we say like join our organization it's like okay I do wish you should be on the board I mean, y'all, have we not done that? We've done that move. right? We're like, oh, you're so brand new and you're cute. You got a cute haircut. Like, you should be a part of it. I'm like, no, (laughs) slow the roll, right? Like, build relationship. Tell the stories. Slow it down. So how has it impacted the work that you've been doing around prison abolition, around harm in communities?
4: Mm. Mm. So many thoughts. So actually, what I'm thinking about is, so my next work...
1: Ooh, preview. Tell us. Make
4: preview drops January twentieth. All right. Do you want everyone turn your phones what? off? Don't
1: even try to pretend, like, Don't even try to get this.
4: Right. But I'll say that it's it's an ancestral listening text. Okay. So.
1: <laughs> I always tease I, I always tease Alexis because every time we talk to each other, I'm like she puts the words together in a way that I'm like I didn't know that that existed. Um, I didn't know I wanted that so bad, and
4: now I need it. What is that like? <laughs> The Alexis Touch. Well, what is that indeed? Okay, so. Say it, the words again. It's an ancestral listening text. Okay. So basically, <laughs> just listening to my ancestors all year, every day, like I do. Look at you taking notes.
1: I'm like, everyone. <laughs> don't even write it down.
4: <laughs> it's, called, it's called Dub Finding Ceremony. But one of the things that happened, one, I was like, let me listen to my ancestors. I thought I knew who my ancestors were. There was a whole bunch of folks who were like, hi, also us. (laughs) Some of those folks were like whales and coral and bacteria. We're like, acknowledge your ancestry. Didn't you know? So there's a lot there. But one of the things that came up was, what about my ancestors who have caused harm to my other ancestors, to me? What about the harm that has been intergenerationally passed down in my family that I'm trying to unlearn? And... part of the story in our family is like, it started with this person, right?
3: That's
4: right. And Or a whale.
1: Or that whale.
4: But the whales were really being helpful, though, because the whales were like like swimming alongside us during the Middle Passage, like, this is how you breathe out the top of your head. They were like, activate your crown chakra because this is what it means to be black in the new world. Anyway, so. That's incredible. Could you just say that again? I know, i like, just, it's... Probably not, but you know. Okay,
1: these you said they were swimming alongside us in the middle because Passage.
4: The same ships that were used to hunt down the whales are the same ships that were used to carry people as cargo here.
1: That part. That yes, part,
4: right? So understanding that that solidarity and kinship has yeah. been has been a part of what has been going on. That's not even what I was trying to tell y'all, but. I also, that's what came through. That's what came through, and I'm grateful for that. But listening to these ancestors, right? And, like, being in a transformative justice process with people who have been dead for generations. That's right. That's what it actually takes. And that in order, like you were talking about to love ourselves, right? In order to love myself and to listen and to allow something to come through, I had to claim all of the ancestors. That's right. And not just be like, just the, the ancestors are perfect because their ancestors. Like no. That's right. There are many ancestors that I've had that I would I would not want to be more like them. I'm not aspiring to be more like them. Okay. It would not be helpful to our communities for me to be more like them. That's right. And for that healing to actually happen, I've had to, reel the walls, you know, the understanding of what it means to. Say yes, this is something that's been so harmful. And what about this? Like, I have an ancestor, Anderson Gums, my great grandfather, who was an abusive person. My grandfather always talked about his abuse, his alcoholism. Is there a baby crying? That's baby
2: Oscar, my friend Laura's baby. (laughs) So
4: grateful for the sounds of life. Hi, Oscar. Hi. Only the baby? It's not crying. <laughs> is it only? Is it only the baby that's? Hey, that that is, is so shady. <laughs> okay. No babies can get okay. okay. Hi. Okay, that's true. Thank you for the feedback. That's true. That's true. That's true. Believe you. So, Anderson Gums. So, that's your He had some things to talk to me about. Yes. You know, and like, what does it? What does it mean for me to look at my own healing? What does it mean for me to look at how my circumstances might be different from his? To have compassion for the emptiness that he felt, such that he did harm to the other members of my family. And to even have gratitude that I'm not, I don't feel empty in that way, right? Like what, what did that, what did that take? And another wonderful loved one of ours, Leah Lakshmi, Pepsi seen, seen her who I was just listening to her. Um, the podcast episode where you interviewed her the other day, like,
1: yes! yes. Um, she broke so many things down.
4: We did a workshop on this together mm-hmm. in Seattle about what does it mean for us to, specifically for um, for black, indigenous, people of color in Seattle, to say what does it mean for us to really look at our ancestors mm-hmm. in a transformative justice way? Mm-hmm. What are we actually abolishing within our lineages, in our practices. And so that's actually the example that comes to the forefront for me because I think that there's a way that before this particular process that I've been in, I've done, I've used this idea of the ancestors as like perfect and only awesome and you know just basically a pseudonym for some kind of divine right of God as part of my delusion about myself not being a person capable of harm. Right? And my ancestors, when I listened to them, were like, we are not on board with any of your delusions. Like, girl,
2: we messed up. We gave that up when we died. No? Like, (laughs) exactly. We've moved beyond the body. We
4: don't have to lie to ourselves anymore. Yes, we
1: keep it real out here in the spiritual realm.
4: But there's a certain type of healing that has to happen through the ones of us who, as you said, who survived and who are embodied. And they're like, look, don't waste any more of this embodied time. That's right with delusions about how you could never harm anyone or that's not, that's like, uh, that's what other people do, that's right. right? That uh, you can psychoanalyze this other person and what they did. And as long as I continue to delude myself that I'm not capable of harm, I'm never, I'm trying to be my sister's keeper not being my sister. That's yeah. right. Yes.
1: That's great. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm. Anything there that you, in your work, I know you're kind of three months away from work, so I'm just like, <laughs> anything. New? I'm like,
2: well, I mean, one of the things that did come to mind, I think, as you were talking, Adrienne, is just, um, and I've, I think I've probably spoken about this on the show before, but just the, the nature of being in a democratic workplace does change um, um, both how we orient to Um, conflict, harm, challenges that arise inside of our work, but also how we orient to the way that we support other people around it. So inside of our work, it means that um, we are often at a loss. It's like there's no one else to blame. Because all 13 of us now are democratically involved in this by choice and you know it's just like there's no one to there's no one to look to and say that person is the person who is ultimately responsible for fixing whatever dumb terrible thing is now happening it's like oh no we collectively are responsible for fixing any problem that we've identified um and um which means that we are collectively responsible for attending to our own growth our individual growth and like the places that we need to grow as a group of people who are trying to be in this like liberatory practice together. Um, So it can be quite painful at times because it's, it feels like being pushed right up against the edge of what we can imagine a lot of the time Um, and having to sort of be, you know, and I think in, in movement spaces, we spend a lot of time saying don't reinvent the wheel, you know, like, People have done this before. and and that is true in a way, right? Like, um, I really believe that about like i'm I'm a student of movement history. I really believe in understanding the lineage that I stand in and knowing that there's very rarely something that I could be doing that hasn't been attempted before. Um, and I also feel in the <clears throat> being in a democratic practice in a cooperative, inside of late stage capitalism, um, inside a political moment where th- the landscape is shifting in the way that it is, that there are things that we're being called to do where we actually have to create processes that don't exist. We do have to, yeah. we all have to. Like one of th- I think that one of the things that I'm realizing in my work right now is like, oh, we actually are being called in this moment to create things that are completely new, and um, and I feel like as a parent, I'm getting exposed to that on a pretty regular basis because my children have thoughts that and say things that I would never think of. You know, um, that is the thing that gives me like the most hope. Actually, at any given time of my life, is just like talking to them and being like, "Oh, what like." It, <laughs> you know like I've never had that thought you know <laughs> um, and you know and that's you know and so it feels important that that like we see that as a skill that children are bringing to us and that we cultivate it as a skill inside of ourselves to be able to actually like think new thoughts
1: <laughs> I mean it's real I, I feel like because I for such a long time was part of my um like, what I thought of as humility, you know, as I was like, I never think any new thoughts. Like, everything's been thought before. Yeah. And I'm just remixing and like DJing thoughts, you know, in my mouth. Um,
0: DJ beat?
1: Thought. So, um, <laughs> but. Thought. T H L T. Anyway, so, but I do feel like um, it's like being like, oh, also, there's, what I think of is not necessarily the full thoughts are new, but the intersections and the combinations are new. Like I think of it as like, you know there are new dishes, there are new fusions, there are new things that happen that um, I'm like, oh, what is the new combination that is necessary? And like as you were just talking, I' was like, oh, like how how what is the intersection between prisons and children? And like how are children part of you know liberation processes, right? I'm like, oh, yeah. I haven't really thought about that right I'm like it's always like those things have to be kept far apart and the juvenile justice system is like the worst thing that could ever happen you know and it's like um I'm really interested in being like oh how do I remix that thought or like what could my new thought be about children as storytellers children as visitors children as teachers in these spaces um but I also keep thinking about I keep hearing from, I've gotten a lot of letters from people who are getting access to emergent strategy inside of prisons. And it's made me interested because I'm like, I'm like, you know, my initial thought was like, how would that, how would, how would that work? Like, what would you be able to do with it? Right. And I'm like, oh, what's my limitation? What am I thinking there? Right. Cause I'm like, um,
2: good noticing. Right.
1: I always like, always I'm like, oh, right. Cause like, to me, I'm like, prison is such a terrifying concept like, it's it's maybe the most terrifying concept to me of what we can do to each other is be like, because I have decided that you have broken my rules, now you won't be able to go wherever you want to go, and we're going to watch everything you do, and we're going to intentionally put you in inhumane conditions and call that you serving your time, you you getting back to your humanity. And it's just like so, it, to me, it's, it, really, it's like this is the most terrifying thing, system we've dis- developed and think of ourselves as a society, as a civilized society, but we do this, and to me, it's like, that's the underbelly, like, I just went and saw Us, and I was like, this is what this is about, to me, is like, yeah, we just have done the most terrifying thing, and, which, it's not not at all, exactly, Exactly. that's what I'm saying, I'm just like, it's, It's, it's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing, yes. right? And like, Thank what you. people have to do in that space is then find a way to be like, oh, I'm still going to return to my humanity. Because I think, oh, some of the greatest teachers I have in my life are people who have been prisoners at some point, right? Yes. Both like the Malcolm X, you know, at, you know, like, Mumia Abu-Jamal, but I'm thinking of, like, in Detroit, like, Yusuf Shakur is, like, one of my greatest teachers, and he spent eight years in prison. He met his father in prison, like, and he has come out and done so much for his community from that space. And so, when I heard that people were reading Emergent I got really excited, because I was like, oh, small is all, and creating more possibilities, like, from both sides of this wall is so crucial. Yes. And I think about, again, what Miriam Kaba said, which was, like, we're not going to be able to reach, like, the scale of prisons is so overwhelming, and so often the thing that keeps us from even beginning the path towards transformative justice is like, well, it's never going to be at the scale of prison, so like, it's not a real alternative. And for me, the challenge inside of that was that means so many of us have to embody a new way of being with each other. Like, we all have to embody it, right? As many people as there are in prison, there have to be that many of us outside who are saying, I see through the wall to your humanity. I see you as a comrade and I'm going to engage in processes with you and I'm going to engage in processes out here so that not less people end up in there, right? I'm just like, oh, it's it gets very exciting and I'm going to see what you're doing in there, the organizing, the prisoners are doing on their own behalf for their own freedom, for their own yeah. access to education. And, and this like, is where
2: killing. this is where I'm really excited about the some of the content that we recorded in Ireland that will oh, be coming, yes. it'll coming. be dropping soon because dropping soon. one of the people that we had the pleasure of of partnering very closely with was a, a former political prisoner named Lawrence McKeon, um, who is a poet and a playwright, but he <clears throat> spent a very long time in prison um, in Northern Ireland and um, was on hunger strike. He almost died on hunger strike in the 1980s. But he... Shared so much with us about the the solidarity work yes. that was happening inside, outside prison, and some of the incredibly creative ways that people were partnering yes. with each other Very across those prison walls. So I just I'm really excited for some of the content that's coming in that way.
1: Um, what time is it? How are we doing? I time? know. I think. Well, it's it's 7:58. Shit. <laughs> okay. So I think we should let Alexis. Go mm-hmm. and we should transition into
2: to our QA. A. Very very
1: very brief Q and A. Alexis, we,
2: love, we you. love you so much. Thank you for being a part of it. Okay. Right. Jump, dive. I, wow. Well, now we know that you're a part you know? whale. It's I was just like, like there's
1: no stairs. Yeah. All right. She can also fly. Um, all
2: right. Do we have to end right at 8? No. Kay. Okay. So we can, like, yeah, we can, like, push You're a like little bit. like
1: the so, okay. Um, <clears throat> so we got a few questions that we gathered, we saw things we imagined. We saw things we, we imagine. imagined. All right, things. we're singing Solange, which all of you need to watch and, and see. And I, I say, if, don't form an opinion until you've watched the movie, even if that means you have to find a friend who has Apple music, OK?
2: Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Access is magic.
1: Yeah, because honestly, I just want to say, I want to write her personally and be like, I think you really flubbed the release process. <laughs> I do. I think she did. I think now she did Now that you're a best-selling
2: author, you can totally give Solange feedback. <laughs> I'm
3: call her.
2: Listen, like as Solange, a best-selling you author. You don't
1: know me, but I was on the best-seller list. <laughs> and so based on that, I just think you should have released the movie on all platforms because it's a soundtrack that you released and people are like, What is this? Anyway, so we have these three. That's what I think. We have these three questions here that people sent in, and let's see how we do. Um, can I ask it to you as if I'm asking you the question? Sure. Considering that many critical... <laughs> okay, I'll, ju- I'll do a different.
2: Like whoever's question this is, she's not making fun of you because she doesn't know who you are, okay?
1: I don't, and I also, this is how I ask, this is this how we are. As you know, because <laughs> you listen to us. So, considering that many critical indigenous theorists, Kyle White, for example, have noted that apocalyptic conditions such as ecological devastation and mass human genocide have already happened and continue to happen, how is your conception of the end of the world informed by this? How are you engaging with? <laughs> what is that? Is that your MP3 player? Okay. Oh, good. Are we on time? Okay. Oh, okay. It's your bedtime. Okay. Um, I'll past your bedtime. Yeah. Just for the sake okay. of like, Autumn is a responsible parent. We're, they're taking the day off tomorrow.
2: Yeah. Oh, you're not going to school tomorrow, by the way. Yeah.
1: yeah. You told us that earlier. Party all the time. Party all the time. Is that responsible parenting? I don't know. Okay, anyway. So, given all that, how is your conception of the end of the world informed by this? How are you engaging with decolonial resistance?
2: Mm, given that the these conditions are already present.
1: Yeah, given this concept that, like, yeah, the ecological devastation, mass human genocide has already happened, and continues to happen. Um, how is the concept of the end of the world informed by it? How are you engaging with decolonial resistance?
2: Mm, such a good question. Yeah. Whose question was that? Mm. I mean. Crash. I
1: think
2: the whole point was I was supposed to be anonymous, right? Uh, yeah, sorry. Okay. okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting to think about, someone had pointed this out to me, I think maybe when we like, you can't stop laughing, I think maybe when we first started the show, someone had said, oh, what if like, the apocalypse that we lived through actually was, um, you know, the Middle Passage. And we're like, you know, the, now you just have to pause (laughs) then. But like, what if we are long, long after it? You know, the the great apocalypse that people often think about. Um, I think, how is my conception of the end of the world informed by this? How am I engaging with decolonial resistance? I think I engage through grief. Like I think my primary engagement with it is um, being in a grief practice. Um, and I think grief, grief, like the act of grieving, the work of grieving, um, the discomfort of um, being in a state of loss and knowing that there is nothing that can be done to change the loss I am experiencing has been like the most important work of my life. Um, and I've been put, I mean, like all of us, I'm just so I'm just speaking for myself, I've been put in in I found myself in situations like that repeatedly over the last few years in particular, of um, just finding myself inside of conditions where I'm like, I've lost something something that I never thought I could lose. And it feels, Unimaginable, and yet it also is. It's undeniable that I have lost it, and yet my heart is beating and breathing. Oh, my children are right here. I like have to pee. Um, you know that, like that. Somehow, the 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 minutia of like the reality of just every day every hour, just minutes passing. Um, so then there's that initial feeling of like, it's work to be alive right now. Feels like work, especially inside of loss. Um, but then, being alive is also the work, right? It's like, I feel like I'm kind of, especially these days, I feel like I'm in that dance, like where I have moments of feeling like, wow, it's really work just to like be alive right now. And then, oh, being alive is really the work right now, you know? Thank you. The I'm just going to take the affirmation. You? She's like, heckling you me. You've got
1: heckling children. That's what we're learning right now. Um, it's good. <laughs> They're heckling with love. Yes. So
2: um,
1: thank you for that. I think what you're offering there is profound. And it feels like um, I kind of wonder sometimes, I'm like, can you even really understand that the work is around surviving apocalypse until you've gone through some of your own personal apocalypse like I feel like it changes things so much like you understand more what's important and what really falls away Mm -hmm. and you understand like things go on like you still you know it's so interesting to me because I always think when I lose someone like the moment that it hits I'm like they're gone and you go through that initial wave of grief and then and then in those moments, I'm like, I'm never going to eat again. I, I'm never going to, you know, like, I'm never going to sleep again. You know, I was just like, I'm just going to cry. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to be crying on the floor. Right. And then... I'm just going to be nauseous for the rest of my gonna life. That's going to be it. This is it. Right? And then something, you know, that next urge, that next life urge eventually kicks in. And it's like, no, bitch, you have a bladder and you are hungry. <laughs> and, like, the fact that we have learned that as humans, like, you know, what people bring to a memorial or f- funeral is like, the most food you know it's like here's 20 mac and cheese like I remember that from grandpa's oh my god! it was like literally 20 mac and cheeses one which was so much in mac and cheese saltines saltines I've never seen that method before. it was delicious but I, and I remember like we were sitting here making jokes and like yeah
2: Minnesotans can't like laugh at this because we know what you put on your hot dishes <laughs> this was in South Carolina where it's a casserole
1: I, I don't think I should say anything else there, but I <laughs> I do feel like um, the quickness with which laughter comes back in also blows my mind. That yeah. I'm always like, I'm never going to laugh again. And then someone says something that's hilarious, often about the person who just died. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, right, that motherfucker. You know, like what it <laughs> was. I was like, right. It was like, they're not like, an, and they might be an angel now, but they were not, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> yesterday. And so it's just like, Being able to think of that on an individual level gives me so much hope for us at a collective level that I'm like, I feel like we are in the death throes of this nation. I really do. Like, my post-nationalist heart is like, I don't know what the next structures will look like, but I think what this thing can hold, the amount of tension and dissension and ignorance that it can actually hold, I think we're hitting that limit. And it gives me hope to be like, and we will hit that limit. And it will fall apart. Like, for real, real. And then we will still pee and we will still laugh and we will like cook for each other and we'll be like that ah, motherfucker. Just country. like we've always done. Like we've always done. I mean, like, cause we're we're again, we're like that's what our lineages have t- left us. That's the mm-hmm. gift that has been offered down. It's like you go on. Yeah. You go on. And like when the time is there for us to not go on, like we'll all become butterflies, and then the butterflies will be like <laughs> <laughs> be Those <coming>. working butterflies. <laughs> All right, everybody do your butterfly, your future everybody? butterfly self, okay? And just remember, like, you're gonna be laughing about like, oh, remember when humans thought they were like the premier thing that was going on on Earth and like their consciousness was the only thing that mattered? <laughs> <laughs> right? So, all right, let's see one of these other questions. Um, this one feels beautiful.
2: What? Oh, no, I'll ask you. What role does spirituality, please define it in your own terms? play in abolition? Ooh,
1: I love that question. I do understand why you want to know who. I'm like, I think I love that person.
3: Um, Oh oh my god, we're married! (laughs) Okay.
1: Um, You don't believe in marriage. It just happened, children. I know, I was like, I don't believe in marriage, that's what I joke about (laughs) it. I mean, not to offend any married people who are still in belief. Um, So, I... No, I didn't. I offended. Did I offend anybody? No. Okay. So (laughs) did I offend y'all? Sure. Okay. Let's talk about it on the way home. Um, So to me, abolition is a fundamentally spiritual work. Um, I think Michelle Alexander is about to write a book about this, and I'm like, write that book, Michelle Alexander. Uh, But... It's something that, I, I think that from an informed place, like, we talked about having a gathering about spiritual abolitionism, and I'm like, it's it's like, I think that we're... You can
2: give her that feedback now. I
1: know, I can be like, hey, girl, guess what? Uh, <laughs> after I call Solange, I'm going to call her. So, <laughs> listen, um, if you don't write it, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to be so impossible for, like, three, four days. Like, it's just, you can't tell me nothing right now. You deserve it, go ahead. You can't tell me right now. I, I'm like, even more an Aria Granda, like, hair. I was like, can't tell me anything right now. Um, I have to take us. a picture. Okay. So, but I actually do believe, seriously, that abolition is a fundamentally spiri- spiritual activity because all the work of abolition is you have to actually believe inside yourself that there's something about liberation that is more compelling than punishing another person. And... If you believe that for others, you have to believe it for yourself and vice versa, right? And I think most of us can get there for ourselves, right? Like, I can think of all the things I've ever done wrong. It's not a lot, but it's like some of it was bad, okay? It's a lot. It's a lot. You're right. I'm horrible. So I think about the things I've done, and I'm like, there's nothing that I've done that I would justify giving myself a punitive response for, right? I'm like, I could always find a way for myself to be like, but you know, I had a lot of trauma. There was a lot that went into that. I was going through a lot of harm. I was going through this. I can always see my own way to someone should have compassion for me. And I've been very lucky in my life that many people have. And many people have had the compassion to say, Agent, I'm disappointed in you. I know you can do better. And I'm going to stay right here and help you do better. I want to be part of the system that helps you become better. and on a, I'm like, I believe in the miracle of you, and I like have had to let that in when I did not believe I was a miracle, when I did not believe that I deserved to be here, because I had done something so egregious. And to be like, oh, someone else's faith in me is what helped me to see myself as I truly am, which is a full human being, right? Flawed, egregious, beautiful, all of it. And... So I'm like, if we can allow that for every other person, like to me, abolition is rooted in that. It's not, um, we're gonna go and open every cage. It's like, we don't believe that cages will ever work for any human being. That's not where we heal, it's not how we recover, that's not what our resilience looks like, it's not where our resilience takes place. At the same time, I'm really interested in reclaiming the spirituality of setting someone aside giving them room to contend with themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that gets missed inside of what we have now in these prison conditions is I do think that we have people right now active in our movement who need a fucking break. uh, An imposed break, right? It's like we would like to invite you to go spend some time on an island by yourself. We will send in a therapist every three days. Right. And that therapist will help you to work through stuff. You're going to get the most delicious food. You're going to get unconditionally loved. You're going to get such good treatment, but you're all going to get quiet time Mm -hmm. (laughs) to reflect on yourself with no social media in reach. Right. Because I think so much of what happens right, is we don't get the time to sit with like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And instead of getting the time, like, I think this, you know, this has been my big thing with the whole Me Too movement is I'm like, what's happening right now is someone, it's like, you know, people know they messed up, right? All the people who are like, Me Too could happen to me, they're walking around like, mm-hmm. hopefully no one will notice. And then someone does. And instead of being able to, like, take time and be like, why did I do that? Why, was, why did I assault someone? Um, on a movie set that I was working on or whatever you know thing that you know why am I Kevin what's his name Spacey right like why did this happen and then there's no time for that person to actually reckon with that there's just time to go on the defense to issue some stupid statement because we're like we need a statement immediately and it's like no one anyone who's like hasn't come out themselves and said hey I caused harm and I want you all to know about it. And I'm doing this about it. If someone isn't coming forefront like that in our movement or in any other space, that's the first reaction is sh- that we want from them is not a statement. Mm-mm. Right? Because we know that they're in a place where they're like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Right? right? Like, that's the thing that's really happening. And I'm like, you have to take a long
2: time. Because people will always default to their own victimization Absolutely,
1: first. Right? And I'm like, fine. That's a shape that has kept you safe. But it won't keep anyone else safe, and that's why you can't keep that shape. And you need time to reckon with that. And so I'm interested in that. To me, I'm like, I'm really interested in like the spiritual work of solitude, and reclaiming the spiritual work of solitude as a part of what abolition entails, um, rather than just being like, it's all good, we never, ever, ever send anyone to spend time alone. I'm like, no, no, no. Right. Like, take a break, <clears throat> take, take, take a year and a half. Mm -hmm. You know, so that you can come back and say, I really got time to think about it and to work through it and to do some healing. And I'm not just trying to push my way back in. I'm trying to humble myself and say, I can belong again. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, For the sake of time, I think we should just move to the third one. Yeah. If you're down. Yeah. And
2: let's maybe um, do like, like, rapid fire. I'm tired. So let's do rapid fire. Are you tired? Let's do rapid fire.
1: Are you tired? Oh my gosh. I'm never tired. <sighs> no, I'm, I'm tired. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm basically sleeping on the inside. Um, how do you center yourselves in moments of intensity during facilitation and mediation?
3: Mm. That's a great Mm-mm-mm.
1: question. It's like that. It's kind of like that.
2: Oh, one of the things I do do to center myself is if there's a child in the room, I'll just hold the child.
1: Yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yes. Often, you are the people that I think of holding, mm-hmm. even if I, even if you're not there. That's why mm-hmm. y'all are on my phone.
2: Well, okay. So, should we each give like a an answer to this?
1: Yeah. What? Let's do, do it. How do
2: we center ourselves? Um. You yeah. Go you first. give
1: me. You want me to go first? Yeah.
2: Intensity, which could mean anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like thinking like what have I done the last three times there's been intensity um, the main thing I do is think is widen my perspective out so I'm like oh what's happening in this room it's not the first time it's not the last time it's not the only time we're not the only humans it's not even this. the
2: actual thing
1: it's not usually the thing that matters and what these folks need right now is not for me to like <clears throat> super hone in and be like fix it you know it's more like It's all good. Like in the grand, 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 like space rocks floating through, you know, galaxies and like cosmos. What's the difference
2: between a rock and a space rock?
1: Um, Well, one is on Earth and one is in space, (laughs) obviously. So...
2: But a rock is on Earth, which is also in space. Yes, I mean, I think it's all space. I am this is... Okay, go ahead. Anyway,
1: we're not even right now so but i do want to recommend <laughs> you're not i'm not totally not am i i'm not i'm okay, a so, parent i'm a parent no i'm not a parent <laughs> <laughs> i'm obvious okay just kidding let's see if anyone gets that okay all right so what are we talking about what are we talking so about you were saying, okay you we're saying
2: that you widen your
1: i widen my perspective to mm-hmm. a space rock and then i'm fine Okay. Um, also, also, I widen my perspective on, that per- on the arc of that person's life, because often like, if I can't do that, then I get really annoyed with the person. I'm like, can't you see that we're trying to like foment justice here and you're holding us up with your intensity? And, <laughs> and instead of recognizing like probably that intensity is a part of the fomenting justice process. And if I can see that person as like, oh, their intentions are still fomenting justice, even in this moment.
5: If I can see that, like, in the
1: arc of their life, this is a moment in which they're being brave or taking a risk or something. If I can widen that way, it chills me out. And then when I chill out, Mm -hmm. I can usually get the room to chill out.
2: Mm -hmm. What about you? Well, I was thinking about the, like, the, the centering myself part of it because I think, like... Um, as a facilitator, it's taken me many. I've always been a very good facilitator.
1: Yes, you have.
2: But it took me a long time to um, be excellent at it because masterful, masterful, or mistressful. Okay, so. um, but like, I, I think that part of that was because in the early years of my facilitation work, I really relied on my star power as the way to like make the room do what I wanted. Star power. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very. Starish. <laughs> um, some might call me a space rock. Um, <laughs> ah! <laughs> um, but but that's different than actually being good at what you do. Well,
1: a space rock is not a star. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, you <are> a star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we're gonna fight about whether a space rock. Is a I was star. watching okay. Strange Rock and I learned
1: about what a star okay. is. Okay.
2: So. Um, But I think I think that the things, the kinds of things, the kinds of things I had to learn to do in order to become really like excellent at facilitation, um, had to do with like uh, the ability to really tune in to the way that someone else's energy was impacting me. Um, Particularly, one of my big journeys was around other people's confusion. um, That I found that like more than any other strong emotional response that another person's confusion is the most likely thing to cause me to become defensive um go figure and I it mean yeah there's a lot of, a lot like, of stuff going on I like to on. think I'm clear yeah I like to think I'm really fucking clear we all um, actually
1: like to think almost wow. everyone mm-hmm. I've ever met.
2: I know I'm sorry with the language um we
1: told you we were gonna curse you guys That's in 20 true. years, people are all going to be cursing. Yes. Yeah, you heard. Yeah, it right will there here. even
2: be curse words? Is a good question. Um, so, Base Rock
1: will be a curse word. In so, the
2: all that is to say, before my children fully take over the podcast, um, all that is to say, okay, please just give us to the end, and then you can come on stage and take over the mic, okay? Um, so, so that is to say that for me, I had to learn. I had to learn that like that my energy was completely tied to the energies that were happening in the space, to everything that, you know, that there, that there was no separation between me and the people in the room no matter how much strangers to me they were, there was no actual energetic separation between what what was happening in their bodies and what was happening in mine. And so centering myself now really looks like the boundaries that I erect intentionally over the course of the entire experience between myself and the people that I'm working with. And I'm very, very, very verbal and direct about it with people. So like I just facilitated When I was in Vermont for this writing residency, it was a work exchange. So I facilitated a staff retreat for this organization that runs this international artist residency program. And in exchange, I got an artist residency. And I told them, like I was really clear with them, like we are going to be in this content until like noon on Tuesday. At that point, my residency begins and you're not allowed to talk to me about anything that happened in this room.
5: No matter, like, we're gonna see
2: each other for another ten days, but you can't yes. talk to me about that, you know. Yes, so for so me, I find, I find, and I'm a very verbal person. You are. So, but I do find that the that the things that help me center myself most are when I can clearly articulate my boundary mm-hmm. to other people, knowing that like more clearly I can articulate it, the more likely it is that it will. A, be observed, but B, that I will feel accountable to hold it because I actually had to say it out loud. That's
1: right. Mm, I love that. I want to add also that I am a student of somatics and I actually center. There's like an actual centering practice. Oh, yeah. And I use it all the time in my facilitation. Length in a width. moment, I'm just like, length, I've got my dignity, I have the right to be here, I've got a history, I've got a future, I've got a purpose. And it's just like, oh, right. It's all good. So I want to offer um, the Healing Justice podcast. I actually did an interview with Sumi. And if you look it up, there's a centering practice on there. So if you're like, oh, what is that practice? It's amazingly practice? helpful. It's on there. She leads you through it and can teach it to you. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We are on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at end of the world show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreoncom slash into the world show. And one of the things that Patreon is helping us track right now is how many people really support this show and really want this show. And, um, it helps us get a sense of whether we should increase how often we're putting the show out. So Definitely at least, you know, give us a dollar here and there. Let us know that it's like, yeah, this is this has value to us Um, or y'all have value to you or you know what I mean. Uh, Another incredibly helpful thing you can do is to um, write reviews on Apple podcast or any other place where you listen to the show and reviews might help. And if you enjoyed the taste of Alexis Pauling Gums that you got with this live show, make sure to go back and really bask in her brilliance in an episode from our first season called A Breathing Chorus. Um, She really breaks down time travel and God and a few other small concepts. That, ex- that deserve exploration. Uh, you can also read her fiction. Um, as we mentioned, M archive is a beautiful taste of her fiction. You can find her poetry in spill. Um, and she's currently doing a, f- a beautiful series on our water mammal friends and kind of the missives from them as both ancestors and comrades on this planet. So on social media, all platforms, Alexis Pauline um, is where you can find all that. And yeah, just keep listening to what she's got to offer us. Um, How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the glorious mammal, Zach Rosen. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Alonaron and Mother Cyborg. And our Easter egg for this show is... Um, you may have noticed the voices of our nibblings really um, gathering us and guiding us and and disrupting us throughout the recording of this podcast. They were sitting in the front row. And um, when we reached the end of our podcast recording time, they actually took the stage. and it was it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, what we learned in that is that, they do not want to be second fiddle to any book signing activities right so um we thought that we would offer y'all a little bit of what they did during their podcast time and we're definitely planting the seeds for needing to do um, an interview with them Um, and if you like hearing from nibblings in general and like stuff that has to do with the brilliance of babies, check out this up-and-coming podcast called Raising Rebels. It's on Spotify, and it's an incredible um, set of, of stories and wisdoms from the incredible Nolika, who's over at Brooklyn Free Schools. So that's going to be coming out. First episode drops, I think, this coming week, June 20th or so. So check that out. And, um, happy Juneteenth, happy Juneteenth. Yeah, so here are my nibblings talking about cats and chess and some other things. So much love. So, something that I'm really interested in is your fashion choices, both of you are extremely fashionable.
5: Oh yes, yes, we are very fashionable. Tell me
1: what are some of the things you think about when you're picking your outfits?
5: I feel, I think about what it's gonna feel like and what I feel like, and what it feel like before. And I, and I feel most of my clothes before, some of the clothes I haven't. Some, by just looking at them, I can tell if I like them and I can tell if they're uncomfortable. So that's how my daily, that's how my daily clothes work. Well, I'm not that, much of a fashion girl, but I do like some of my clothes, but um I I tried to make a dress. I kind of did it, but it didn't fit me, so I gave it to somebody else.
1: Alright, my next question is, if you had a podcast of your own, what would your podcast be about? What are some of the things that are really exciting and interesting to you?
5: About the book I'm writing? Tell us more. My book is named How You Do With Yourself and Shadow. It's a very big book, and I'm not done at all yet. The cover has all the things you need to know about it. On the back, like every story, it tells you a little bit about the book. So, this book is about a little girl growing up with herself and shadow. She can't handle what she's doing in her life, and in the end, she figures out what to do. you I
4: don't
5: try. you have to read the book if, Jesus if I had a podcast I would talk about my family and my life yeah that's better than mine okay